The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Audrey and I've been working with the youth in this congregation for the last six years. I'm currently the lead teacher of the teenage youth group and I'm excited to share my thoughts with you today. As a lifelong Unitarian Universalist, I really value questioning and the beauty that comes from not knowing because it positions us to receive more from ourselves each other, and our communities. In my job as a social worker, I get to question a lot. I bear witness and receive stories and walk alongside those who may be in pain or alone. At its best, my work feels like the work of justice-making. But like many of our country's systems, the profession of social work has a long history of injustice and specifically doing harm to communities of color and by white women such as myself. I perpetuated this harm recently in an experience with a black client. Our relationship had grown slowly as he shared with me his mistrust of white professionals and systems. And over time, I did my best to hold his stories and his growing trust with care. But one day I made a mistake, a seemingly small one, but it wasn't small to him. And he let me know. For over an hour on the phone, he expressed his anger, his disappointment, and his exhaustion at having been let down again. And I just listened, and I cried, and I took it in, but I was not sure what to say or do. I felt sad, and ashamed, and hopeless. I even considered quitting my job. I felt like, how can I be a part of a system that can evoke this much pain? But I knew that that truly wouldn't help, because shame is an emotion with no purpose. So I thought, if I'm going to call myself a social worker, I think I need to hold my shame aside to see it all, the truth in the system and my role in it. I believe I have an obligation to do better and to reshape the profession for a better future with less harm. I realized I was lucky to witness the impact of this harm because it's too often invisible to people of privilege like myself. So without any answers, I just showed up the next day, and luckily he did too. I don't know what's going to happen or if he will continue to show up for this relationship, but 
I know that if social work is going to evolve and heal, that I have to turn toward what is hurting. I have to stay in the conversation and keep myself accountable and keep listening. The amazing thing about our institution as Unitarian Universalists is that it listens to us. We have an active, alive relationship with our church, and it ebbs and flows directly with the calls of its congregants. It's not fixed or rigid, like some systems in this country that may be stuck in the past. It can evolve to meet the needs of the time. And what greater need right now than addressing racism? So I'm proud to be a member of a religion that challenges us to grow, and I know that it can't grow without us. We are lucky to have voices in this community that are shining a light on harm that has occurred, that is occurring, and also on a way forward with our eighth principle. We get the amazing opportunity to listen and learn and open our doors wider to a more inclusive love. The eighth principle won't solve racism, but it can set our faith on a course toward greater justice. It's meaningful to me as a social worker, as a Unitarian Universalist, and as someone who isn't done learning or growing. I'm inviting others to come along on this journey, and I'm excited and grateful to our beloved community for doing this work together. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Alfie. I'm one of the young adult members. I want to share with you what I learned in my mother's house in Korea a couple of days ago. I'm visiting my family right now and still in still quarantine in my mother's house, which is far from the city and surrounded by green plants and mountains. I feel grateful to be able to refresh my body in this peaceful space. And most of all, I feel so loved by my family. I have been visiting Korea every other year, but have never stayed more than five days. The first reason was I worried about my cat I left behind in San Francisco. But the other reason was that I felt I did not spend, I did not need to spend more time with anyone than having lunch with them. However, thanks to the pandemic, I had to stay 14 days this time, and I'm having a very special time in my life listening to my mother's story. Even though I lived my with my mother until I went to high school and later I stayed with her a couple more years, I've not had much time to have a real deep conversation with her since I became an adult. I've just listened to my mom's story. She went from being a beloved first daughter to, to a rebellious woman, strong wife, wounded mother, and wise single person, and now she is just herself. This is what I did not know before, and I had ignored the truth in our lives, both hers and mine. It is an ongoing story. I am in a big transition in my life, just as she was in her late 20s. She probably struggled with preparing for marriage, learning how to live with her partner, and teaching me through our journey together. Every time I have found myself complaining about my partner's eating habits, the same as my mother used to do about her partner, more and more I realized that I'm like her. 
I am becoming her. I am representing her life and truth and I'm making our lives better as she dreamed to do. I feel grateful that she gave her blessing for my gay marriage, which is very unusual in Korean culture. And she supported me by giving her rings and saying that she knows I can do it well. For a long time since I left her house in my old 20s, I thought my relationship with her was almost over because we did not live together anymore. And maybe I have not listened to her voice saying that to me, I know you. During this quarantine, in this very special time, I happened to find the forgotten truth in my life that there is someone who loves me, trusts me, and knows that I can take our lives forward. Even though my life may not be easy and may be full of failures and disappointments, now I'm sure that I can challenge myself because I know that I am her love, her tears, her adventure, and her truth. This is a song about moving into a new stage of life, figuring out who you want to be and what you want to do. It's called Suit and Jacket. It's by a group called Jude and the Lion. and I will be sharing a short reflection with you all today. So, the night of the 2016 election 
I was curling up next to my father on the couch and said, Daddy, I'm scared. I was only 14 at the time and had my eyes glued on the news that day, much like many other people. Throughout the whole campaign trail, I had heard empty assurances from my friends and family. Words that spoke confidently, telling me that the reality we have lived for the last five years wasn't possible. Already at 14, I had adopted a pretty liberating worldview with the internet at my fingertips. One of justice, peace, nonviolence, and other similar qualities. I was just learning what it meant to live in the world as a marginalized person, a woman, an undocumented immigrant, questioning my orientation, my identity, and finding out that I have ADHD. But because of my surroundings, I was always on edge, waiting to prove somebody wrong. I felt like I couldn't express my opinions without getting into a heated debate. I felt torn apart, angry, and disappointed because most of the time I didn't say anything. And when I did speak, I struggled to do so without shouting. When I looked at my friends, I felt a loss of innocence I didn't know I had. And of course, through all this, I was struggling with my spirituality. I wanted something great to believe in, something promising and comforting. And after a lucky convoluted series of events, I attended my first Unitarian Universalist service in early 2019. And for the past couple of years, I have felt at home in my congregation, like I could breathe and let my guard down. I thought my whole life I would have to fight tooth and nail to prove to the world that I was worth as much as everybody else. And lately, and it seems for most of my life, as I have found myself fighting through seemingly endless struggles, the Reverend Gretchen Haley and her words have inspired me to surrender. Quote, Give up the longing for some other world, the wishing for other choices to make, other songs to sing, other bodies, other ages, other countries, other stakes. End quote. Through these hardships, I've learned that there's so much power in surrendering to my life, where I've been and where I am. Because it's helped me realize that my worth and dignity never needed to be earned or proved. It's always been there. It's in surrendering to the rain that I have found strength to blossom and become who I am now. I've made it when there were so many times I thought I couldn't take it anymore. I don't know when I'll make it through this time in my life, but I've made it before. I know I can do it again. So while the present feels painful compared to what's behind or what could be, there's also no rush. The day I feel better is on the horizon. But today, I choose to, quote, Surrender only to this day, this hour, this breath, not because it does not constantly break your heart, but because it too beckons with beauty and startles with delight. 
end quote. Thank you. May it be so. Good morning. My name is Sarah Freed, and I am delighted to be with you all this morning. Before I begin, I feel it's important to name that I am writing and recording this reflection in the wake of the murder of Dante Wright last Sunday at the hands of police. And in the midst of the Derek Chauvin trial, which has caused a reliving of the trauma many experienced this summer following the murder of George Floyd. The work that I'm sharing today is only possible because of the generations of Black activists who have led the charge in addressing the racism in our systems of policing and incarceration. May the memory of all those who have lost their lives to systemic racism remain in our hearts and our minds and embolden our collective work toward liberation. I am currently a Master of Divinity and Master of Arts in Social Transformation student at Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley. For almost a year now, I have been serving on the seminary's Community Safety Task Force, which was formed in response to a spike in police presence on our campus during the first few months of shelter in place last spring. The core of our work has been exploring ways our school can engage alternatives to calling the police. But our longer-term vision is for the institution to make a commitment to abolition, which we hope is not only reflected in our policies specific to campus safety, but in all aspects of our life together, from the curriculum we teach in the classroom to the ways in which we navigate conflict amongst each other. While I can often get caught up in the logistical work, scheduling meetings, managing the budget, coordinating workshops, our work runs so much deeper. We are exploring the gaps between our school's stated values and our actions. We're working to repair the harm that this gap has caused. We're embracing the unknown. We're in a process of becoming. This past school year, our task force partnered with the organization Rigorous Love to host what we've called Sacred Conversations on Safety. Each conversation has centered the voices of a particular population within our campus community, students, faculty, staff, administration, and trustees. I have found these times to be moments of holy becoming, Moments when we have engaged the practice of deep, authentic listening and witnessing, as well as the vulnerable sharing of our truths and hopes and fears and anxieties. These conversations have helped me to understand how the work to change our institutional stance on policing is so different than changing any other school policy. This work is deeply personal for everyone who has been involved. For some, it's meant unearthing trauma due to past experiences of police brutality. For others, including myself as a white individual, it's meant grappling with the truth that the reality that was created for them and for me regarding safety and policing is false. Those with positive, relationship, positive relationships with the police have found this work to be risky, even upsetting. But in each conversation, we lean into the unknown just a little bit more, knowing that our temporary personal discomfort 
leads to a community where all can thrive. At the end of our sacred conversations on safety, our facilitator shared this quote from Linda Christensen, which says, community isn't always synonymous with warmth and harmony. It's important to remind ourselves that real community is forged out of struggle. This is the crucible from which a real community grows, end quote. This is becoming. The moment when we choose to endure the hard, uncomfortable thing together. When we embrace the growing pains because we know that in the end, they will make us more loving, more caring, more compassionate. Choosing to make the commitment to the work of becoming together is our first step on the journey toward justice. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.